Hello and welcome. My name is Kirsten Johnston and I'm the chair of the Marketing Focus Group at the British Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai. This is our second episode of Season 2 in the Live Lounge podcast series where we discuss corporate innovation and entrepreneurship, the future of disruption. This panel is mediated by Jill Smith, Managing Director in China of Iris Worldwide. She's talking to five panellists today, including Carol Zhou, Head of Shiseido China Business Innovation, Brian Tam is Creativity Consultant of Let's Make Great, Summer Xia is the Marketing Manager at Microsoft for Startups Shanghai, and Luke Ellens is the Head of Innovation at Xnode Corporate Startup Innovation Accelerator, and lastly, Kapil Kane is the Director of Innovation at Intel and co-founder of Ideas to Reality. I'm sure you'll agree that this is an excellent panel discussion getting to the heart of internal corporate innovation, so I'll now hand over to Jill and her panel in the Live Lounge. Let's first start off with talking about you and what you do. So Kapil is Director of Innovation at Intel, also the founder of Ideas to Reality. So you want to chat a bit about what that role is all about? So, um, so what we realize now, right, is really, uh, like you said, right, everything is getting disrupted. And during times like this, whether you're a small company or a big company, you can't really rely on your R&D labs to show you where to go or the so-called innovation center, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. You really need to be entrepreneurial, right? Because if you think of entrepreneurship, it's creating new products and services under the conditions of uncertainty, the kinds that are existing now. So, but if you are a corporate, where do you find these entrepreneurs? Mm -hmm. There are three ways you can do that. One is you go acquire a startup and then you get some entrepreneurial energy into your company. You can go partner with the startup, right? That's what a lot of corporates are creating, the startup programs, the accelerating startups. But there's a third way to do that, which is to look for entrepreneurs inside your organizations. These are the employees. These are the so-called intrapreneurs, which are just like, you know, your startup founders, just that they happen to be working for a big company. And what I do is I enable and empower those intrapreneurs at Intel to go create or tell us what is the next big thing to create. And so you can think of us as like an internal angel investor, a seed investor, mm-hmm. a VC, an accelerator. Mm-hmm. So, but it's all ideas coming from our employees that land into the market as products mm-hmm. and services mm-hmm. and, and, and bring us to new markets and, you know, get us more revenues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what does that process look like? So if, does someone come to you with an idea as your internal accelerator and say, I want to explore this, how do I do that? So, so, so what we do is we have run two batches a year. Uh, each batch will have five to seven teams. And for, for each batch, we will invite calls for business plans. So twice a year, we'll get business plans from, from our employees uh, saying that, you know, hey, this is the tech I have developed. I've been working on it for maybe like six months, one year, two years. Mm-hmm. And this is the business application. You know, this is, these are the pain points it's going to solve, blah, blah, blah. So we get anywhere from like 30 to 60 business plans for a batch. And once we get the business plans, we will, you know, maybe pick 20 of them and bring them to a boot camp where we help them turn their like business plans into a business pitch. And then they will uh, pitch them in front of our China leadership team. 
Mm-hmm. And then they enter our accelerator, which lasts for 16 weeks. Mm-hmm. And we do with this outside of Intel in a co-working space. Okay. We make them feel like they're real like co-founders. Okay. And that at the end of the batch, what we what we create is what we create is we create validated business plans, which we bring back to the business units to then go make um, like a, a POR, plan of record product, mm-hmm. or or we launch it as a as a, as a as a product or a service. And it becomes like a real deal, yeah, mm-hmm. real, like a real Intel technology or product or service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the, the reasons why I feel like corporates have started to shift and, and looked outside to VCs and accelerators is because there's a real challenge internally, internal culture that prevents real innovation from happening. So how have you been able to, to mitigate that? Because I'm sure that still exists. Uh, yeah, it's like a day-to-day struggle, right? Because um, if you're innovating, by definition, you're doing something that is like, you know, different than the normal. And most of the groups like, you know, HR, finance, IP, security, they all want, want they don't want anything. They don't want to take risk for the company. I think big corporates are more worried about losing something than gaining something, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like I say, you know, it's like going to a battle every single day. You need to just fight people, you need to fight processes, and you need to find workaround, mm-hmm. okay? So very simple thing, like, you know, if, if someone, if a startup wants to move into a new co-working space, if they want to, like, you know, move into WeWork, they go there, they sign, like, a whatever paper, next day they are in. We mm-hmm. wanted to get into a co-working space, it took us six months. Okay. To get clearance from all these different departments, you know, with their, like, you know, like, archaic, like, you know, like rules and, you know, all the mm-hmm. processes to follow. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, you know, if if you really want to do it, you can actually get it done. Mm-hmm. Right? But it just takes, take. you just need to keep fighting, keep fighting, find the loopholes. Mm-hmm. And, and finally, you can, you know, be hopefully be successful, not all the time. But yes, you know, it's, I think it's, if you think of like an entrepreneur and entrepreneur, they're always fighting battles. These are different battles though. You know, like when you're an entrepreneur, you're fighting to get money. When you're an entrepreneur, you're fighting against the process. The money is there, but you know, you need to, you know, circumvent different processes, you know, people to get to that. Other thing is different, you know, like as an entrepreneur, maybe there are a lot of angel investors, seed investors, VCs who want to invest in them, but inside a company, no one wants to invest in you. You need to keep telling them why. They need to invest in you because everyone has already decided at the beginning of the year what all their investments are going to be for the whole year, right? So it is a struggle, different kinds of struggle. For Brian and Luke, I mean, you are the the people that corporations go to for for support in either incubating an idea, um, doing a sprint, prototyping, etc., those barriers still culturally exist, even with you being a third party. So how do you manage that institutional logic? How do you navigate that, that whole scenario? So I think what we, do, what we do is that we try to create a program around it. So I think we all see the word entrepreneurship and innovation, and we think, oh, is this going to happen? We just say, this is our core value. And then everyone is suddenly going to become an innovator and an entrepreneur. But it doesn't actually work like that because of the uh, internal systems of, as you said, the rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love how you said it. Sorry, the rules that uh, that can kill any good idea. And I think we all have ideas, but how often do we have a, a set program or a path or a way forward to present that and share that to a larger larger audience? So what we do is that we try to create the uh, system, a program that can take people who are non-innovators, non-entrepreneurs who don't know how to work around the structures, who don't know how to go and talk to, or, or who are very, very, sorry, let me phrase it a different way. They're very good at what they do every day. But 
innovation is a very different sport. Entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship is a very different sport. So how do you get people who are fit in a different way to be active in this new way, this more flexible way? And so that's what we're doing. We're trying to create a program, uh, education, mindset change, that can be in a, mm -hmm. just to get people to understand what is it going to take to work through all the things that uh, Kapil was talking about. Mm -hmm. So in kind of in parallel, you're creating a whole value story around what you're doing. Yeah. So you're not even doing the thing, you're also doing the other thing. Yeah, you have to massage and yeah. make it look like it's a, a much bigger thing too. I mean, it's part of the internal uh, mm -hmm. system that you have to work through. Yeah, so, so to add to that, um, we are third party, right? So that means I can say whatever I want. I don't have any boss, I don't have any politics, I don't have any KPIs. So what we do, for example, when we coach entrepreneurs in our actual programs, the first thing I tell them, the very first meeting, I tell them, okay, we see each other every week for one hour. From now on, you're a co-founder. So who's the CEO in this room? Who's the CTO? Who's the CFO? I ask them to point those roles out. And once those roles are clear, I tell them, okay, from now on, it's your business. We are creating a company here. If you don't agree with those rules, let's stop this program right now. Uh, so part of it is, is creating boundary conditions, creating a, a environment in which people feel that type of ownership, uh, but also being strict with them. So if they start acting like a corporate employee and start asking their boss for certain permission, uh, we kick them out of the program sometimes. Mm -hmm. We tell them, okay, this, this doesn't work. Uh, mm -hmm. You're not acting like an entrepreneur, you're acting like an employee, which means we cannot create something new. Mm -hmm. So as a third party, we try to do two things, basically, try to set the boundary conditions for them to uh, think differently, but also act uh, when they're being an employee rather than an entrepreneur. In summer, the work that you're doing with uh, Microsoft Scale-Up, you do a lot of work with strategic partnerships. Are some of these tensions similar for, for Microsoft or is it a different landscape? Yeah, so I think intentions are quite similar, right? Startups always Startups are always innovating and um, corporations are always looking for new solutions. So it's like dating, right? What I need and what I can give. And um, what we do at Microsoft for Startups is that, so we set the, the core value is that we do this called like innovation as a service and we actually connect like startups and corporates. We have, because Microsoft is the largest like B2B company, so we have a lot, a lot of like corporate clients and customers and also partners. So we invite startups into our ecosystem. We have an ecosystem of like governments, connecting governments, VCs, a lot of investors, and we bring them on and then we actually help them tap into those resources. And we actually did, I think a few months ago, we did a Walmart hack tour. So you have many different stages. The first few stages of dating, as well as like, it's like scouting, like you see whether this is a good fit or not. Mm -hmm. And then once you see the startups are a good fit and the corporates are interested in the startups and the startups also can provide solutions, we actually bring them on to like Walmart and then Walmart tell them, they're like what they need and they actually provide like uh, solutions for like the pain points that yeah. Walmart is try trying to solve. And they actually, we have, last time we have three startups that actually came to like POC, which is like proof of, con proof of concept. Mm -hmm. And I think the most extreme case is like we do a lot of hackathons, right? And this is the point that the startups and the corporates actually make sure that they're like, there, it's not only because of passion. They actually have something they can give mm -hmm. and the startups can take something from the corporates and then we do a hackathon and this will come into 
like an actual like result. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you've kind of removed any politic from what you're <laughs> what you're doing. Just yeah. kind of a better place to be, I guess. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess changing gears a bit. So Carol, in your role at Shiseido, you're helping to really redefine their next phase of transformation. Which, if you want to talk a bit about that and what that means, but also I know you're evaluating the ecosystem of startups and entrepreneurs in China, and would love to hear about your partners, but also just the motivation for Shiseido to do that. Yeah, sure. I think everyone knows Shiseido, right? Uh, I'm, at least all the ladies probably know. Um, so just a little background. I mean, Shiseido's been over, it's about 147 years. The largest beauty company in Japan, uh, number four in the world. And uh, everyone think of Shiseido as a fairly traditional company because of the J a Japanese heritage. But, um, you know, we are literally going, we've been on this transformation phase for the past five years. And we are literally, you know, relooking looking at everything within the company to really innovate for the future. So primarily we're a beauty company, right? So we, we sell beauty products. Um, so it's very B2C. Um, however, you know, we realized that actually in China, my team is set up in China. We started in January. It's a very, it's the first of its kind. The, the mission of the team is really to drive growth for the company. So growth in all areas. So we look at, you know, how do we innovate within China? China being our most going to be our most important market. It's going to, it's number two right now after Japan, but looking at, you know, the next 10 years, it will be our most mm -hmm. important and largest market. Um, and how do we innovate within China? How do we leverage the unique ecosystem within China to really kind of think of new business models, um, delivering new ways of doing things? Um, how do we leverage the talents in China? You know, it's very, very diverse talent here. Shiseido, you know, with all corporates, right? We're, we're set up very differently. Corporations are set up to, you know, take uh, less risk. Mm -hmm. We're set up to produce mass uh, for the for the for the uh, masses. So where startups are, you know, they they like to take risks. I mean, they actually have to take risks mm -hmm. in order to survive, right? They're very scrappy. So in, we're really set up and completely different. So how do we actually co-work together um, is what my team also mm -hmm. is responsible for. You know, what is, what's right for Microsoft is probably not right for Shiseido. So we want to kind of really, you know, tap into this ecosystem to see, okay, um, what kind of setup works for our company um, based on the core competencies as well as the culture. So right now uh, we're looking at very different, you know, all kinds of different ways. So we are looking at partnering with, you know, we have a strategic partnership with Alibaba, mm -hmm. uh, where we have a whole team there in, in Hangzhou, um, really working <coughs> with the team there to develop new products and services for the Chinese leveraging mm -hmm. Ali's ecosystem. We are looking at different startups in terms of maybe technology. Everyone is into AI these days, right? So from a consumer perspective, how are we leveraging big data to understand our consumer needs? Um, so that area would be interesting for us to tap into. Mm -hmm. And also talking about entrepreneurship. So my team is supposed to be our entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurs within the company. Um, how do I build a team? So literally, I'm setting up a whole team currently. So we're we're trying to get some new new blood into the company. <laughs> Many people has been with the company for a long time. So okay. we want to have new, fresh perspective. Mm -hmm. So also start to bring that culture of thinking differently um, into the company. Mm -hmm. It's just curious with all these, I guess 
new internal systems and then the work that you guys are doing, what's the appetite for failure though? So just, you know, like big investment in here's something we want to do, a white piece of paper roll, look outside, look inside. Are you able to try things and fail fast or is there an expectation that everything you do is going to work? I think it's a little early for me to say yeah. because um, <laughs> literally we just joined, I just joined the company for less than six months. But I feel like, you know, <clears throat> as a true... The company culture is very risk averse. So I feel that... It just it seems so contradictory though also. Correct. Right. Yeah. So that's why they hired me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because um, I'm a risk taker. So I feel like yeah. I, I'd rather take a risk and then um, to fail than to not take a risk at all. So mm-hmm. I think that's, that's how the, um, in China, especially with the market right now, I, the way that I tell my, my bosses are, you know, we need to just, you know, launch things, uh, see what the market says, right? Instead of, you know, the past is we sit in the lab and we innovate and we mm-hmm. kind of test for like years and we launch the product. Um, now it's just launch it. It's, it, couldn't, it doesn't have to be 100%. Maybe mm-hmm. it's like 70%. And let the market help you and then you tweak and you learn. Yeah. But that's a very different way of thinking than our normal way. Yeah. So I still need to kind of <laughs> convince you yeah. know, people in the company to yeah. l- allow us to do that. For Intel, is that sort of similar? Is, is there a fail faster? Is there no failure? We had different KPIs you know, mm-hmm. as we evolved the program. But I think in the end, they really care about the revenues, okay? It's about how long you can, um, it's like, how can you get people to believe in you, you know, to start with? And so that's what we try to do. Even though, uh, I think in just getting the program off the ground, right, there were lots of questions like, you know, what is going to be the ROI? What is going to be the revenues? How many you're going to sell? I'm like, I don't even know how many projects we'll have. It could be two or 100, I don't know. It took someone... I just took the, 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 the head of China to say, okay, go ahead and, and try. Uh, but I think at, at the, after the end of the first year, the next year you need to have some proper KPIs. You, know, you need to talk about how many your innovative ideas you're going to turn into real business. Mm-hmm. And then the third year is more about you know, like how many products you have launched. I think it depends on you know, like when you start, you have people will give you more leeway, mm-hmm. but you need to start showing really tangible results. Mm-hmm. What we did yeah. was when we picked projects, we pick some projects which can deliver results within six months, within a year. So you can talk about it. You know, it's like even though like a million dollar of revenue, you can say, you know, hey, our thing is actually producing results. We'll say we are going to create disruptive innovations. And then you open a big lab, you spend a few million dollars, two years pass, three years pass, nothing comes out of it and it gets shut down. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that's what we're trying to avoid. I guess kind of in the same same theme is um, what are success metrics? And so I know this this is very different kind of across all of your individual areas, mm-hmm. but have you defined what your KP, KPIs are for the year? Yeah. I'm just curious. I, I can tell you, I think for yeah. the very, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, the, sure. the, for the first year, right? We, uh, we said land at least one project into a business unit. Mm. That was like first year. The second year we had like land three projects into a business unit plus create, plus do a spin-off. That mm. is when you take an idea and bring it out of the company and create like an independent startup. And, and then on, it was mostly like, you know, revenues, how much revenues you are generating. But there was no hard KPI as long as we saw like, you know, it's like a curve that's like going up. Summer, do you want to yeah. chat through your, your KPIs so for Microsoft? I think 
We've been thinking about this, right? Because mm. um, Microsoft for Startup is actually purely a cost center. So you can think it as like Microsoft for Startups, a strategic department of Microsoft. And Microsoft give us a ton of money to do this kind of things. So no- Noted. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> since we don't have that drive financially, so it's hard sometimes to think of like what our KPI is. Like I said before, innovation as a service. So what we want to do is that we always wanted to create like an ecosystem connecting different stakeholders in the ecosystem. And we also practically, we want those startups that came into our accelerator programs, we want them to continue use our Azure cloud because we actually give them free credits when they came on board. Mm-hmm. But whether they choose to use it like uh, after is their choice. But if they continue to choose to use it, we actually will help them co-sell and co-brand. And this is the attractive part because we actually have like over 40,000 like uh, cells in inside Microsoft globally, and we can give them to the Microsoft cells, and then they can sell it globally for those startups if they continue to use our cloud. Well, I don't have the, I don't have the luxury of not having a KPI. So <laughs> I didn't think so. But. So um, again, like you know what I said earlier, my mission is really to grow, and we have a goal of doubling our current revenue by 2026. Okay. So it's very aggressive. Currently, we are at nine billion. So it's another okay. another nine billion. <laughs> um, so definitely new business, uh, new business, new revenue. But I think I agree with you in terms of we, uh, you know, for for my team to exist, I do feel that we need to show some really quick wins. Yeah, something mm-hmm. that's six to twelve months where normal BUs in the company can actually see. So they're not wondering, oh, what does that team actually do? You know, because yeah. I get that question asked every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. What are you working on? Um, but at the same time, you know, I also need to kind of see um, how do we how do we get to the new business what are the things that we can try and yeah. test so my KPI for this year uh, what I agreed on was we need to kind of put together three POCs that we can actually launch at the same time help with something that's to do with commercial innovation. So helping mm-hmm. a BU currently, how do we improve either their, um, I wouldn't say marketing, but just you know their digital experiences, for example. Um, that's something that we don't really have a team right now that does that. So that at least everyone currently in the BUs working on their current budget understand that what value can my team add mm-hmm. versus something that's too far out for them. Because they're only thinking, how do I make my numbers for this year? Right. I think what would be interesting is we've heard from kind of corporate side, also our accelerator folks, but I know Kapil and Luke, you guys have worked together. So it'd be interesting to chat through what that partnership looked like, how you, ways of working, because you obviously have an internal accelerator at Intel, but then reached out and worked with Xnode. So what did that look like? Just give us some some gossip. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, we are sitting together, so I, I think the relationship is going pretty well. So, 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 you know, when we started, right, actually this idea of creating an accelerator came from your former boss, you know, William Baubin. And I just happened to meet him in my very first week on this new role. And he, he told me what he does, like he creates an accelerator. I had no idea what an accelerator is. And so I was like, okay, maybe we can do this internally. And so we started looking at who could help us do that. And we ended up with Xnode. So we tried doing the first couple of batches in-house. The very first batch, we just threw money on the table. We thought, you know, it will produce something. We just burned a lot of money, but nothing came out of it. Mm-hmm. But innovation is really about turning those like POCs, right? What you're creating into real businesses, mm-hmm. you know? 
I mean, you can create a nice mirror that can like look at your skin tone and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. can it actually generate revenues for you, right? So it's a special skill and it needs to be learned from people who are, who have gone through startups, who have built companies, who have built products, mm-hmm. right? Of course, there are like, you know, these trainings about, you know, what is a business model? How do you validate hypothesis? But other thing we have is something called EIR, Entrepreneurs in Residence. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a council of entrepreneurs that help your internal startups or even external startups. They meet week over week and point them in the right direction. And I think that's the most valuable part Uh, of this is to learn from real entrepreneurs and apply that knowledge on your actual project on hand. Yeah, so so um, uh, just a couple of things to add to what Kapil was saying. So I think uh, what we add to the equation is essentially most of the people in my team are actual entrepreneurs. That means that we understand what it means to take a business. So I'll give you an example. Very often with Intel, we're talking about chip propositions, right? The only thing Intel cares about is selling chips. That means that the only thing Intel employees care about is selling chips. Uh, but very often they have a great idea. They have actually an idea that can be brought to the market all the way. So we have, uh, I don't know, automated uh, vending machines. Uh, we have ideas for creating completely new interfaces for computers. There's many cool stuff out there. And one of the things that we try to do with them is tell them, forget about selling chips. Let's talk about creating a company. And then they often ask us, can I even think about it? Yes, of course you can think about that. Because from now on, you're no longer an Intel employee, you're a co-founder of a company. There is a process to innovation. Okay, uh, Innovation is very messy, it's very hard, it's very likely to fail, but there's a process to go from ideas towards product. Uh, and uh, I think what we bring to the equation is a very structured process, what it takes to go from an idea to a product, from an idea to a business case, from an idea to a customer, and from an idea to revenue. And of course, there's plenty of ideas and initiatives out there that fail, but at least we've maximized the opportunity, the, the likelihood of success by going through that process in a quite rigorous manner. And uh, what we see very often, if, if corporations do this all by themselves, there's a tendency to think in barriers, in, in strategic fit for the company, in everything that cannot be done. And as a result, you don't achieve what actually could be achieved. So Intel and Shiseido are pretty massive companies that have resources and just the ability to invest in a really robust innovation agenda. What is the landscape of Xnode's clients? So is it is it all big business or are you also working with mid-scale size businesses? Yeah, so we work with about 40 multinationals right now. So it's primarily multinationals from US and from uh, Europe. It's actually interesting because we're starting to work slowly now with privately owned Chinese and even state-owned enterprises. And we're working with some mid-sized companies. What they want and how they think about innovation is completely different. Uh, So when we work with a European multinational, they understand how this works. So they expect us to provide this structured process where we bring internal employees and we we guide them through all the way towards a business case and then they can invest or create a spin-out. They very often have a support structure that facilitates all of that. When we work with a Chinese privately owned enterprise, they want us to do magic. So they very often tell us, okay, we want to create 20 companies. Here you have 20 employees. Uh, Can you, uh, in two months' time, create 20 products? And by the way, we would like to make 20 million RMB. So so there's a very, very big gap in terms of understanding what it takes to do innovation. Uh, When you do innovation, you need to have a risk approach. It's, It's a risk management game. So you need lots of different ideas, lots of different employees, and then ultimately some of them will succeed and pay off for the rest. So there's a lot of education we need to do. When we work with state-owned enterprises, frankly speaking, what they mainly care about is uh, a lot of PR. 
Um, uh, let's look at us doing innovation, but not really about creating the business impact. Uh, we work also with mid-sized companies. Uh, they do care about the business impact. They also understand that there's a process behind. But very often there, the company is so messy internally that uh, they themselves go from left to right, from bottom to up. So the dynamic is very different, and it's actually part of our job, not just to run this, this program, but to also educate them on how you can do this properly, what process you need, uh, what support structure needs to be in place, uh, what can work, what cannot work. So the reason why we work with 90 to 95% multinationals is because we, our company, what we do is we create business impact, meaning new products, new services, revenue. If you're looking for an event or a hackathon or uh, some handshake and some pictures, go to another company. Mm. So it's very important to make that clear um, when we speak to clients because I would argue especially in China nowadays, there's still a lot of this theater going on mm -hmm. um, and not much actual innovation that leads to business impact. Mm -hmm. Okay, a bit of a pivot, but thinking about just the, the commercial drivers associated with innovation, more looking at the emerging space of uh, social innovation, um, innovation for impact. I know, Brian, you're doing some work in that space. Is that something that you think corporates are going to be investigating as potential partnership? Innovation for impact is... It's almost weird to say. I mean, well, positive impact. We should add that little uh, adjective in there. And I think it should be common sense coming from the West. That's kind of what we're thinking. And, uh, but I think from a, a business point of view, are the businesses ready to think more about, more than just about the bottom line? Uh, this market in this time, 2019, personally, I don't see that yet. I think there's some early stage interest for other companies who are leading the way of creating more social impact and thinking about the environment and thinking about different types of issues. But they're still at the stage of dividing the, the territories. And maybe if they're already past that, if the market, the market that they're in is more mature, they're starting to develop some things within that. But they're not really trying to differentiate as much. And that's what picking an issue and standing for the issue uh, with your innovations, that's what that is for. And so I think maybe in five more years or in 10 more years, that's what we'll see a lot more of. There's a lot of great hackathons and a lot of great initiatives within universities. So, you know, there's hope, <laughs> right? I don't want to make it sound like we're all, you know, it's game over. Do you want to add to that? Yeah, so, you know, this, uh, I've been involved with this organization called Halt Prize. You have heard of Halt Prize, right? So what they do is they give a million dollar to a startup that solves a particular challenge every year. And they've defined this challenge very well. So last year, the challenge was people who use the power of, energy to get, I think, like a million people out of poverty or something like that. The year before that was, how do you restore the dignity of refugees? Like, I think a million refugees over 10 years, something like that. So, but the, the cool, the, the thing that got me, you know, uh, involved with Hull Prize was uh, they partnered with the Global Clinton Initiative, so basically mm -hmm. President Clinton. And what he said was that if you can make a business out of lifting people out of poverty, there will be no poor people left. So that got me thinking, you know. So, so when you think of impact, right, you say bottom line, and there's like a triple bottom line, right? Like mm. a people, planet, and... Profit. Profit, yeah. <laughs> so we are only looking at profit now, but profit is a great motivator, you know? Mm -hmm. so, 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 so what we believe really, you know, is that if you can create impactful businesses that are also profitable, that's the way to go. I think I have tried the last whole year to figure out what is this space of impact investing? How do you measure impact? What is this triple bottom line? How do you actually calculate? I have no proper answers. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm just going with profit, but I want to create businesses 
that actually make in, impact and solve people's challenges. So right now, of course, you know, I support Hulk Prize in various ways. And we are also actually with Luke trying to do something for, uh, with the United Nations yeah. uh, for uh, the urban challenges as well. Uh, and we're going to start with Africa. So if you're interested, I'll, I'll, so yeah, so I think, you know, other thing, you know, I feel that, you know, tech is going way too far and not really understanding the impact it has left behind on people and, and like the societies and planets, right? So I want to like go like a slightly different direction because I think even if like today, you know, like people are talking about 5G, right? Mm -hmm. Like if even if we stop every development on 5G, like nothing's going to happen, you know? But if we keep trashing our planet, you know, think something bad will happen. If we keep polluting, something bad will happen. So I think that's where I want to change my focus a little bit. And I think I see a lot of like-minded people mm -hmm. doing that. Can I just add, add something? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so this is extremely important, I think. And um, I think there's also a big difference between China and, and Europe in terms of mm -hmm. willingness to, to think about this and, and, and kind of let business develop in this direction. So, for example, something that we've done in Europe. In Europe, we invest in companies. So we invested in a little bit over 60 companies. We've now said since 2019, we don't invest in companies anymore that don't have a sustainability component. We just don't do it anymore. Because we believe sustainability is a business asset for the long term. If you don't do something where you try to improve the world a little bit, it's much harder to attract the right talent. It's much harder to build a company. So we, we just don't do it anymore. And I wouldn't, China is not there yet, for sure. It, it will take some time, but just China will get there. And just to give you one example, we've been approached by the ocean cleanup. In a nutshell, it's a it's a project where they try to clean up the ocean. So there's a big plastic <laughs> yeah. there's a big uh, plastic patch uh, between um, I think Hawaii, Hawaii yeah. and uh, the US. Yeah. They're trying to clean that up. Uh, they approached us to help them bring the technology that technology to China mm -hmm. for seas, but also for also for rivers. So they approached mm -hmm. us about uh, six weeks ago. We had some conversations with them, and we figured out. We, we want to help you, but there's no business model behind, and we're for profit, right? So uh, normally we would say no. And then we had a meeting with our employees. And by the way, 70% of our people are Chinese, Chinese employees. And we asked them, we can do this. We can take on this project to help the ocean clean up. But this needs to be out of your regular work hours. So we will do this in the evenings, in the weekends, mm. because we want to do it. What do you want to do? Everyone said, let's do it. Uh, and that's Chinese employees aged between, let's say, 25 and 35, more or less. So people start to care. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm convinced that also in China, it's moving in this direction. Speaking from Microsoft, a startup's point of view is that at Microsoft, we always pay attention to like AI for good. I mean, almost all the companies uh, that onboarded our program has like AI at, at its main component. But we not only look at the technology, we actually look at whether AI can like help humans in a really good way. No, that's really interesting. Is, are, is that... In your mix at all, also just thinking about the for good component. Yeah, we, um, our mission is, uh, you know, beauty innovation for a better world. Mm -hmm. So that in itself speaks to everything yeah. that we do, right? So um, when we talk about beauty from our perspective, it's not just like your skin or how you look. It's really about appreciation for everything mm -hmm. around you, your environment, what your impact is. So holistic beauty um, is mm -hmm. what we want to preserve. And, you know, we've been in business for 147 years. We want to survive for another 147 years. And definitely that's something that um, everything we do now is focused around um, having a sustainable business as well as providing for the environment. 
Awesome. Well, one of the questions was going to be around future of disruption, but I, I actually feel like we all unanimously agree that the future of disruption is sort of a move towards tech for impact and just having some of these things be a lot more a part of all these innovations. So to close then, what are the first steps for approaching innovation? So um, whether you're a, a small company, a large company, um, what advice would you give to sort of kickstart an innovation process? I have a, a quote from your boss, you know, like this guy Hus, right? He says, no more cute tech. Right? So cute tech is like creating another app, like, you know, Uber for this or Airbnb for this, mm -hmm. but, you know, to create some real stuff to solve real challenges. Don't just try to focus on productivity, but just look at what are the big challenges around you and how can you solve those challenges? Because I think, you know, I used to be the guy who designed the first touchscreen at Apple and that turned into the phone and iPod now. And I today I regret, you know, uh, this, this, you know, what I created because when I go home for, for dinner, like my son is on his iPad, my wife is on his phone and, you know, like, you know, I'm on my phone, right? So I don't know, you know, I think it's like, you know, I don't know if the technology has made our lives better or worse. I don't know, I think, you know. Yeah, so the only point I would like to make is there is this thing nowadays around innovation. It's like a, the entrepreneur is the new superstar, right? So everyone used to want to be maybe, I don't know, Britney Spears or Kim Kardashian <laughs> or whatever. And now everyone wants to be Elon Musk, right? <laughs> you uh, wanted to be... Or, or our, uh, whatever. I don't know Jack Elon Musk anymore. <laughs> um, innovation is very, very hard, okay? 99% of people are not entrepreneurs. So my advice would be, probably for most of you in the audience, please don't become an entrepreneur. It's not for you, Okay. Ask yourself the question, am I willing to quit my job tomorrow, not have a salary for, for one year, work 100 hours a week, and I have no idea if my idea is getting off the ground? If the answer is no, it's not for you. And that's great, because we need people that just are not risk takers. We need people that keep the world running. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the first thing I think is very often underappreciated. Most people are not entrepreneurs, and that's totally fine. And then if you're an entrepreneur, it's very simple. Start doing something. So if you have an idea, don't talk about it, do something. Find your co-founders, build a product, teach yourself how to code, sell it for the first time, create a pitch deck, do something. The essence of entrepreneurship is action, doing something. And so that would also apply from an internal standpoint, I guess, for if, you're, if you have an idea and you want to do something within your business, however big or small, it's like just... Just do it. Yeah. I think the key is basically, for me, is the consumer value, right? Or like, the, what, what kind of value are you bringing to the consumer? And I feel like right now, everyone's kind of just innovating for innovating's sake. You know, mm -hmm. all the new cool gadgets, whatever. It's, there's no, I feel like maybe like 80%, there isn't really a true value. They're just yeah. doing it for, I don't know, PR or whatever. So um, end of the day, I feel like we need to really think about what is it that I'm creating that's mm -hmm. adding consumer value? What is that value? Mm -hmm. What's that new value creation? Um, and if there isn't any, then there's no point trying to search for a key that's not there just because there's light. For me, I'm not an entrepreneur, but I am an entrepreneur, okay? So I've been doing this for six years but I shouldn't be. I don't think there are entrepreneurs and there are not entrepreneurs. I think it is a choice that you can decide for yourself and that you can go through the process. And you just have to continue to make that choice day after day after day after day. It's not something that you can just switch on and be it. And suddenly, it's, it's a fitness thing. I, I really go back to that state. I, I think there's so many entrepreneurs in the world. 
Because what does that mean? It just means that you're developing something new, you're taking a risk, you're going into the uncertainty, you're trying to build a business around that uh, uncertain problem. And, you know, we see Elon Musk, we see Jack Ma, we see these, you know, greats, and we think, oh yeah, that's, that's an entrepreneur. <laughs> I'm not an entrepreneur. That, uh, you know, you have to have at least, you know, seven, eight, nine zeros behind you before you actually become an entrepreneur. But there are so many individuals who have an interest, a passion, a desire, a, a vision to see some sort of problem that can be solved, right? And I think in a very, very micro way, in, a, in our own personal way, we can make that choice to solve that problem and then to build a business around that problem. That's all an entrepreneur needs to be. It's mm -hmm. not some high academic theory that we can celebrate. It is not. It is very, very humble. The, the, the IE on the street selling something is an entrepreneur. Whether you see her that way is up to you. She's mm -hmm. taking that risk. Mm -hmm. It's a real risk. That's why it's entrepreneurship. And so, yeah, you can be a non-entrepreneur entrepreneur. Great yeah. close. Awesome. I'm sure that there are some questions from the audience, so we can transition to that. Now, I just wondered, um, Brian, earlier you were talking about the risk of entrepreneurship and obviously entrepreneurship. You're sort of cocooned by the company. Therefore, is it really the same risk-taking? Do you feel that one would have starting their own business out in the cold? But is it really the same as being an entrepreneur? It feels that way. <laughs> you know, if you're inside an organization and you're trying to take a risk, it definitely feels like life and death. Right. It's it's your whole you once you're inside a company, you build your whole lifestyle around that. You know, you have your, your gym membership, you have the, the uh, rent or mortgage that you can afford based on your salary. All of a sudden, if you don't have that anymore, all of this stuff goes away. So it feels very, 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 very real for an entrepreneur. So I don't doubt that at the same time, they have certain advantages. And I think that's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And if they are smart and able to leverage that and stand on that platform to shout at the top of their lungs and give this idea some legs, then yeah, it's why not, right? It depends on what you're after. If you're after the glory, if you're after the, the credit, if you're after the money, then you, know, you have to weigh those pros and cons of staying inside the organization or going outside and doing it on your own. What do you see different in China? Because clearly there's an initiative from the government to push innovation, which is not happening sort of anywhere else. So are you seeing a sort of difference that maybe there's some government money being put towards this, not just down to corporations? Um, I think for us, right, I think uh, one of the, uh, the trigger to create this program was the government incentive mm -hmm. on innovation and tax benefit. That, that actually made some kind of ROI sense to just kickstart this innovation process. So I think China government is doing a lot of things to, to give incentives to both corporates and startups to kickstart their innovation. I think they're taking the long-term long view, right? You need to plant some seeds. Uh, and, and, and I think you definitely know, this, you don't see that in the Valley. In the Valley, it's about the, the people coming with the ideas, the people raising funds from family and then from seed investors, angels. Here, government, government is accelerating that process of creating lots of new things. Actually, I think China is right now by far the most interesting and promising innovation ecosystem in the world already for a couple of reasons. So first of all, just looking at the scale of resources, right? So the amount of talent that's available. If you look at science, mm -hmm. technology, engineering graduates in China, I think it's double the amount of the US, five times Europe. Okay, so every year there's so much more talent available here than anywhere else in the market. Um, nowhere in the world is the government able to push so strategically and with so much power uh, in a certain direction. So if, if Chinese government says we're going to innovate, it will happen fast. 
and nowhere in the world are consumers willing to adopt innovation so quickly. So you see that also across different industries. Uh, the adoption rate of mobile payments, DD, it doesn't matter what mm -hmm. it is, much, much, much faster than in the West. So consumer behavior is ready to do that as well. There's 12 to 15,000 companies being created in China every single day. So all of that together, role of government, adoption speed by consumers, the fact that the, uh, the scale of resources is much, much, much bigger than anywhere else in the world, creates an ecosystem, which I personally think is super interesting. However, there's still a lot of waste in the system right now. So there's a lot of bullshit going on. People that talk about innovation but have never done it. Hackathons that don't lead to anything. Uh, beautiful pitches without actually having a product. It goes on and on and on. However, because the scale is so big, ultimately still uh, there's a lot of interesting companies. There's a lot of value being created. And I, I personally think it's only going to get better. And that concludes our second Live Lounge episode for season two. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you'd like to get in touch with any of the panelists who participated in this episode, or if you have a business topic you would like to hear, please contact the team at the British Chamber of Commerce, Shanghai. I'm Kirsten Johnston. Thank you for listening. Thank you.